for the reading of God's Word before the sermon this morning. We're going to be turning to James chapter 1. You can find this on page 1880 of the Pew Bibles. So James chapter 1, and the text for this morning's sermon is the first four verses. So we'll just read the first four verses this morning, and then this afternoon's sermon will be on the seven verses following this. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it, oh, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So far the reading of God's word this morning. Well, dear brothers and sisters and our Lord Jesus Christ, well, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't like to suffer. And the book of James that we have before us this morning is a very practical book that speaks to each of us where we are in our daily lives. And each, of every, and each and every one of us suffers in some way. In fact, I'm sure that each and every one of you this morning probably has some sort of burden on your heart and mind, even right now. Maybe something happened in this past week. Or maybe something happened a while ago and it still has ongoing pain and, and a feel of suffering right now. Or maybe you had a good week. Maybe pain and suffering is yet to come. Well, God in His providence moved and guided James to write this, this short epistle or the short letter to speak to us in our Christian walk. James shows us that God not only cares that we suffer, He also cares about how we suffer as well even though we might not understand why it is that we must suffer various trials. James calls us this morning to count them all joy. The theme of this morning's sermon is that we are commanded to find joy in suffering because we know that there is a divine purpose for them. Consider this in three points. Firstly, God is with us in trials. Secondly, God's purpose in trials, and thirdly, God's intended result from our trials. So first point, God is with us in trials, and this is verse 2. Uh, we'll read that again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So James begins with what's most pressing on the life of the Christian. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
So notice that. It's not if you fall into various trials. Rather, it's when you do. You are going to face trials of various kinds. The life of the believer isn't going to be easy, but to count it all joy? What? I mean, that doesn't seem to be right, does it? James, who is the author of this book, is no stranger himself to hardship and suffering. And remember, he's the brother of Christ. At this point, he's a prominent leader in the church. He's probably a leader over a region which contains several churches in the area of Jerusalem. We've got to remember as well that some of the worst persecutions happened and came upon those Jews who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And that it's to these suffering Jews that James now writes. The word used in the original language for trials is not, not referring to a trial or testing as something that just happens to us randomly. Or that could be seen as fate. Back in the time when James wrote this letters, there were philosophers around called Stoics. And if bad things happen to people, well, they would say, that's just life. Just endure it. There's only pain and suffering. And the end result of thinking like this is that death is the only thing that can set you free from this pain and suffering. And today, that's where the euthanasia model comes in. If you have no joy in your life because you're suffering, then what's the point of living? So that's not what James is getting at when he's talking about trials in life. What he is getting at is is a trial or a test that is directed to a particular end or outcome. There's a goal in mind. James mentions various trials, and this shows us the usefulness of this passage. These these words expand the application of this passage because we will experience all kinds of difficulties and trials in this life. And these trials, these difficulties can either be the, the everyday kind of trials momentary trials, or they can be the big, life-changing, life-altering trials that impact us the rest of our lives. Maybe you don't understand why there is so much difficulty in your life. Maybe you thought that the Christian life was supposed to be a life full of blessings. So when difficulties arise, you you think to yourself, why me? Why do bad things always happen to me? And then if that's not bad enough, you've finally passed through a trial and then wham, you get hit by another one. And the why me then gets added to with the question, why now? We say to ourselves, I I don't have time for this. I I don't need this. Isn't that interesting how that's so often the response that we have to trials, isn't it? 
all profess to believe in a, a sovereign God who, whom we acknowledge has our best interest always in mind. It's easy to believe this when things are going well, but in the moment of trial, effectively, we doubt God and we tell God what we do and what we don't need. Even though He knows us so much better than we know ourselves. Children and young people, maybe you find school and exams really stressful and and you feel like you're suffering under the amount of study that you have to do. Or maybe you feel like you're suffering with all the chores that you have to do around the house that your parents get you to do. Or maybe... Maybe you're a parent who has a child or, or children who have struggled with whether or not they're a believer. And maybe that child decides that God is not for them. They leave the church and they le- live a life of rebellion against the Lord. What joy can believing parents have when that trial comes along their path? Or maybe you've just been diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe you've had cancer. Maybe you're facing a lot of cancer treatment. What about the person who doesn't overcome cancer? Or whatever the disease might be. Where does their joy, where does their family's joy come from? What's the real comfort and joy after remaining a steadfastly positive Christian throughout the whole treatment process, only to find out that the cancer is still there and cannot be stopped? Well, brothers and sisters, for some reason, your heavenly Father decided that when you came to faith in Christ, That he would not take you straight to glory. Rather, he decided that he had a reason for you to live your life in this fallen world. Can you see that? It's no mistake. It's a purposeful decision. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 tells us, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The author of Hebrews points us to Christ. James said to his audience, You are to count it all joy when you go through various trials. As believers, in the same time period as these early Christians, remember, we're between Christ's first coming and between His second coming. 
so too James is commanding us to count it all joy when we fall into these trials. It's important to remember that James isn't just suggesting that we're to be joyful when we fall into various trials. You know, you should just be happy when you're going through difficulties. No, that's not what he means at all. We will experience true grief and trials, and we won't always be happy. Joy isn't simply being happy. Joy is a deep-seated sense of peace that comes from within and isn't always seen in a happy outward disposition. In the New Testament, up until Acts chapter 13, so the Gospels and then the first uh, 12 chapters of Acts, the word in the original language uh, for joy that's used is used in the way that we like to think of it as meaning. And that is gladness, cheerfulness, a quiet delight. Well, after Acts chapter 13, the word for joy is almost always used in connection with the trials and suffering that believers will face and are facing. And this seems to indicate a subtle shift in, in the use of the word as the apostles have now been through the first 20 years since the crucifixion. And they're now writing these letters to mature but suffering Christians. We ought always to remember if we're reading uh, in the book of James, it's not to be read in, in isolation from the rest of the New Testament. Rather, it's with the rest of the New Testament and the gospel in mind that we're to read James. Remember the encouragement in Hebrews. Look to Christ. You know that Christ, after he ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to the church. That we might be indwelt by him and changed by him. I want us to consider this this morning, that joy is the second fruit of the Holy Spirit as mentioned in Galatians 5 verse 22. And joy is a character trait that is tempered by fire. Take the psalmist, for example. He goes through many different trials and hardships, but he always ends up joyful. And there are psalms where the psalmist cries out in anguish to the Lord. The psalmist always knows where to turn. He, he turns to the Lord in the times of trouble. Here is the psalmist's uh, deep-seated sense of joy, of peace, that is joy. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 139 that no matter where we are and no matter what we go through, that we're never, ever away from the presence of God. The psalmist finds joy in God, his rock and his redeemer. I'd encourage you to read the Psalms when you're going through difficult times. In Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us as well that, that God is in control of the details of the experiences of our lives. God controls exactly where we live. God controls the exact length of our life. What this shows us is that God is with us in the midst of our trials. He's a personal God. He's interested in you personally. Listen to this. You cannot have a biblical view of Christianity 
and view God as being outside of your trials. So this begs the question, doesn't it? Why would God allow His children to suffer through trials? Why would He allow them to suffer these difficulties? Because trials are for the express purpose of testing your faith. This brings us to our second point this morning, God's purpose in our trials. Verse 3, it reads, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, there's an assumed knowledge of James' audience that that they know this. They're not surprised by the fact that they will be and are experiencing trials. As believers, as we've mentioned before, we, we know about, we believe in the sovereignty of God. You know you're not in control of your life. God is. And he has this, this purpose for you in all that happens in your life. He's, he's intimately involved in your life. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. These difficulties are not the result of irrational fate. They're tests. What does James mean when he talks about the testing of faith? As one theologian said, the testing of your faith is neither designed to afflict you, nor to destroy you, it's meant to purge, refine, and strengthen you. And when we read of the word testing here, we shouldn't think of uh, school exams as though it's a pass or fail kind of a test. Instead, we ought to think of metallurgy. When a metal craftsman known as a metallurgist receives or, uh, or mines the metal, the metal comes mixed with all kinds of dirt and all kinds of impurities. And the craftsman then melts the metal over extreme heat. The metal itself doesn't disappear, it remains. And it's refined through the, the burning away of the dirt and the other impurities that devalue it. The dross, the, the impurities that cling to the metal like, like sin clings to us are burned off and destroyed. The metal now being, having been purified is worth so much more. It's not only purer, it's stronger. It's more beautiful and it's, it's moldable and as such, it's far more valuable. And so the purpose of these trials that we face is that we would emerge from them stronger and purer. So it's not the idea that you're enticed into sin or a wrong way of thinking about your suffering. It's rather that you'd be strengthened and purified, leading to a far greater resistance to sin. This is what James is talking about. These trials are God-ordained and for that one purpose. For refinement. Your Redeemer sees you. He sees your imperfections. Can we see that? Even in this past week, it reveals our, our, our imperfections to us, doesn't it? You and I need refining. That's, that's something we need. There's a particular quality that we need for our growth and grace, and that is we need perseverance. Some English versions of the Bible translate the Greek word in this text as patience rather than 
perseverance. And, and while the word in the original language can convey that meaning of patience, the idea that springs to mind when we hear that word is, is too passive for what's trying to be said here. And so the NIV does get this right. It, it translates the word into English in a way that brings out far more of the force that James is trying to, uh, trying to say to his audience, and that word being perseverance. It, it brings to mind endurance. And perseverance in the Christian walk gives us two things. Firstly, it gives us a, a fixed direction. And secondly, it gives us a firmness of purpose no matter what. This fixed direction is, is that God chose us by His grace to live for Him rather than to live for ourselves. You and I no longer need to live with only ourselves in mind, our own little world, but rather we now can live for God and with His grand kingdom work in mind. We're part of His big grand plan of salvation and, and so we can find joy in living for Him. Direction gives us firm purpose and a reason for living with all that you and I are in a positive way. This means that, practically speaking, that you and I have a reason now for all that we do. You and I have purpose to our lives. Perseverance is a quality that enables us to not just endure suffering. To not just endure suffering. I'll try to say that a bit more clearly. More than that, it enables us to overcome our suffering and difficulties. We're now not subject to these difficulties in our lives. We're conquerors. Perseverance means that, that when we face a difficulty, we don't abandon that direction and purpose. We know that we can't do this ourselves. Perseverance of heart is a product of the grace of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it, and it only comes to us in uncomfortable ways. It's just like an athlete who wants to improve his or her game. You don't just play the game, you want to win the game. And so you train, and you, you train hard to get better at the sport and to build fitness. Paul, in many places in the New Testament, uses the language of an athlete. It's no different here. Someone, someone running a race to receive the crown of glory. Well, we're similar to athletes that have a coach. And the coach's job is to get the best out of his athletes. Well, that coach knows that to get the best out of us, he needs to push us hard in training, harder than we would push ourselves. Kind of goes like this. Jackson, if you don't try your hardest, you're going to run an extra 10 laps. I'm not sure about you, but I had a coach like that. And it is extremely painful in the moment. But come game time, you'd felt the difference that that training had had. You'd, you have more strength, you have more energy that you didn't have prior to that training. That training that your coach gives you gives you real endurance, real perseverance. Where God does this to us, where He, where he trains us in perseverance, that's grace. You and I need to be refined. 
and the fact that we face trials that make us uncomfortable, that's grace from the Lord. And so the purpose of trials is to produce this perseverance. They're not setbacks. They're opportunities to grow rather than obstacles. I hope you're encouraged by this. I am. Trials are a sure sign of God's transforming and amazing grace in your life. Reflect on this. Isn't it true that the way that you respond to trials will reveal what's important to you? Your response will always expose the true values of your heart. Do you respond to trials with joy in your hearts? Or would you and I rather be more comfortable than more holy? We so often think our way is better than God's, don't we? Well, if our hearts are, are ruled by comfort, then, then we're in trouble. Because life isn't always comfortable. Think of Job, for instance. He was not always patient. But he did display endurance under the immense trials and suffering that he went through. And he showed this by enduring to the end of his trial without cursing God. Canons of Dort, chapter 5 and article 11 states... That scripture testifies that believers in this life will have to struggle with various carnal doubts. And that under grievous temptations, they do not always feel this full assurance of faith and the certainty of persevering. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. But God, who is the father of all consolation, does not suffer them to be tempted beyond what they can bear. He gives a way of escape from that temptation. So perhaps you and I don't find joy in the difficulty in our lives because our purpose is, uh, for our lives is different to God's purpose for our life. So I have to ask you this morning, how important to you is a life that is holy in God's eyes? Brings us to our third and final point, God's intended result from our trials. It says there, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So the end goal, the, the outcome of perseverance that enables us to conquer trials is intended to make us three things. Firstly, perseverance makes us perfect, perfect towards a final goal. The idea here in mind is a person who is fully, fully mature, fully grown, a person who's fit for the task that they've been sent into this world to do. Secondly, perseverance makes us complete, perfect in every part, without blemish. Just think back to the Old Testament. It's similar to the Old Testament sacrifices that had to be without blemish, the best of the livestock. And so perseverance makes us a perfect living sacrifice. We're enabled through Christ to overcome any area of sin in our life. And obviously we will still have daily struggles with sin. But we're enabled to conquer sin. Thirdly, we will be lacking in nothing. If 
we meet our trials in, the way, in this way, in the right way, we've developed this perseverance. And this means that day by day, we will live more victoriously and become ever more like Christ. So through trials, God is fashioning us into complete believers. He's molding us into complete believers. And so life is a journey on the road to completion, and trials are the means by which God makes us complete. Believers grow in holiness and will be made perfect when Christ returns. God knows us better than we know ourselves and therefore knows best which trials will strengthen our faith in the way that we need it most at that particular time. So that just as the dross is burned away and the the beautiful metal is left behind, so too we are being molded into perfection, into completion. James' exact words here are, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Imagine us as being seen by our sovereign God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the perfect working out of His plan in our lives and through our trials as perfect and complete. Through Christ, God sees you as lacking nothing. Brothers and sisters, this must cause our hearts to swell with hope, peace, and joy, even in the most difficult trials. What a gracious and amazing God that we serve, that He deigns to work in each and every one of our lives in this way. That He would strengthen us as we seek to honor Him through our lives. Brothers and sisters, this passage is a comfort to us as we know that there is nothing outside of God's control. He is the one who calls us to perseverance, which is the purpose of the trials. And isn't it wonderful to think that your Redeemer will not give up on you until the day that you are complete, that you will stand before Him one day perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is our hope. This is our joy. Look forward to the day when we'll be in heaven, when we'll be transformed into the likeness of Christ. However, we're not there yet. We all know that. The work of refinement will go on. It's it's a a result of unrelenting grace. Remember, we need to look outside of our trials. We need to uh, look outside of ourselves and consider Christ. As we go through these trials, facing these trials and enduring them with trust in God's purposes will lead to spiritual growth, specifically that will be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. So these these two words in the original language convey one idea. They convey the idea of a healthy person. However, they don't assume that that person is sinless. So just because you might uh, successfully complete a cycle through one trial, it doesn't make you 100% perfect throughout your spiritual life. However, it does show you that you've reached this, another level of maturity and perseverance, perseverance in one area of your spiritual life. This enables you to be better prepared for an, the next trial or for a tougher trial. 
When those trials too are successfully endured, as your perseverance matures, it brings you one step closer to full spiritual growth. We'll never be this complete, perfect, lacking nothing kind of believer in and of ourselves. Here in this life, as as Hebrews 12 verse 3 says, it says we look to Christ who who is the perfecter of our faith, that we are made perfect and complete and lacking in nothing as we face these trials, relying on and trusting in Him. I'd like to point your attention to Acts chapter 16, where it's the third time that Paul has been imprisoned. And, and how is it that Paul and Silas, who have just been beaten, they've been thrown in prison and their feet are in stocks so that they cannot move. I mean, they would have been sore, right? On top of that, they can't move to try and get a little bit more comfortable. And yet here they are, singing praises to God. How is it that they can do this? How can they have joy in the midst of such a severe trial? Well, Paul gives us the answer, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10, and in Philippians 4, verse 13, he tells us that it's through Christ that we're able to to find joy in all of life's circumstances. And it's in the sharing with Christ and His suffering that you and I are counted to be worthy to be partakers in His glory. You can count it all joy, brothers and sisters, that God is continuing to work in your life, that He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are His children. Therefore, in the midst of your trials, look to Him as your God of glorious grace. And by not giving into the trial, you will receive the crown of glory. Well, brothers and sisters, how about you? Will you give up your faith in the hopes that life here on earth will get easier for you? Or will you carry on, holding on to the promise of an eternity which is far better than anything that you can experience here on earth? I'd like to finish with, by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. It says there, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary and passing away, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let us live our lives in this glorious hope. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we... We thank you that you are our sovereign God. You know what is best for each and every one of us. And that you're working in us and and that you're bringing us to yourself. Help us in these difficult times to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. And dear Lord, please enable us to, even if we don't understand the purpose of our suffering, to persevere in the faith. Thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves, but that you give us your Holy Spirit 
You change us from the inside out to be more and more like you. We thank you so much for this, dear Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.